Welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 57, the Painted Willie album, Mind Bowling. This is the second time we've got into Painted Willie. I believe we saw them on Blasting Concept Part 2, but this is the first full length, so really looking forward to getting into this one. And we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah, Dave Markey's on the podcast today. Very cool. We have mentioned Dave Markey a number of times in the past, uh, mostly, I think, because of his filmmaking. We've spoken about all those notorious Black Flag movies that, you know, maybe were not necessarily allowed to be released or something like that by Greg Ginn. Uh, We also mentioned 1991, the year punk broke. And there are some other films that we will get to as we continue down the SST uh, story over the releases. But very cool to have the man himself um, talk about Painted Willie. Yeah, Uh, we'll be getting to that interview pretty quickly here. We really struggled with the sound quality. It's not the worst, but it's not the best either. Dave was very patient with me. I... I'll be honest, I was, uh, I don't know if nervous is the right word, overwhelmed interviewing Dave, more than any interview I've done, just because of the body of work. I have a lot of respect for it, and I I was just, my brain was going every which direction, trying to kind of capture a little bit of everything he's done. So bear bear with us on the interview, it kind of goes all over the place. Kind of like we do during any normal podcast <laughs> kind of like that yeah <laughs> yeah i i felt really scatterbrained after her during and after the interview yeah again pretty normal for us yeah can i hit you with a couple of spiels before we get into that lay them on me there spiels ababa okay so the theme is homework you're giving me homework no i gave you homework it's a little bit of both okay okay so You're not going to talk about how you're still working on the Homestead blog, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Not not first. Not first. Okay. So, hey. All right. You asked me to check out the angst song, Ignorance is Bliss, because it reminded you of the closing credits of the movie Suburbia. Oh, right. So I did my homework. Okay. And I can see what you're saying. Sounds similar, kind of plucked, minor key type opening chords like the angst song is way faster like you watched the you watched the credits of suburbia correct wow and i can i and i confirmed that <laughs> referring to ignorance is bliss by angst kind of sounding the same is correct hey you know what there's a suburbia tie-in with painted willy oh well hold that thought okay okay um now i'm checking on some homework i gave you oh i know what you're gonna ask me go this Guns For You, the song off of the same Angst Light Life album. Does it sound like No Means No, Yes or No? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I can hear it. I totally. did I did go back and listen to that with, with that in mind. Sounds like sounds like early No Means No. I think you maybe mentioned that, like uh, Andy totally. Kerr era. And maybe something almost off of Mama, even. Mm, I thought Sex Mad. I thought yeah. Sex Mad, but boy, I knew I could count on you. Now on to the Homestead. A blog I'm working on, but going way, way back to the Minute Flag episode, we were talking about mashups. Man, you got to deliver on this blog now. I know, I know. Did you find a Homestead mashup? Beat Happening and Screaming Trees. It's a Homestead 110-2. It's a co-release with Kate. Is it Beat Trees? No, it's just Beat Happening, Screaming Trees, and all of the members are on all the songs, it, it seems. And it's, hmm. a, it's a split release between Homestead and K Records. And uh, you know what? It's it's pretty good. I'm not a huge fan of Calvin Johnson singing from Beat Happening, but anything with, uh, with some Screaming Trees on it, I pretty much like no matter what. And um, it's yeah. way better than Minute Flag. So there you go. And right on. my final piece of homework is for you. You can either follow up on it now or in a future episode. I'll, I'll okay. leave it up to you. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going through a bit of Jeff Dahl withdrawal. Oh, whoa. Yeah, so... Whoa, I'm really starting to rub off on you here. Yeah, so I just want to plant that seed. Okay. Uh, I'm, keep your eye out for that as we go forward. Unless, Some Jeff Dahl action? Unless you've got something for me now. Uh, I don't have anything for you right this minute, but... 
do you accept your homework? Of course. Atta boy. Give me wish him spiels. Okay. Wanted to send a shout out to one of our listeners, Randy Larson. He uh, messaged us and offered to pick up a My Dad is Dead test pressing for you, Ryan. What? See how, gr- see how great our listeners are? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I probably have the record. He should buy it and enjoy it himself. Yeah. Well, thanks to Randy for doing that. We got the best listeners. No doubt. I wonder if we should post our want lists. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like, uh, you know how some podcasts have like Patreon accounts and stuff like that where you can support them? Yeah. We'll just like post our record want lists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ryan, so speaking of the blog, I've kind of got this in my head about like actually writing like critical type stuff which I've never really done before. And I was scrolling around on Amazon the other day looking at uh, some of the 33 and a third books because I like reading those. And this book came up called How to Write About Music. And it's put out by the same people that publish 33 and a third. Like it's a tie-in with those books. Okay. And it's, it's subtitled Excerpts from the 33 and a third series, Magazines, Books, and Blogs, with advice from industry leading writers. And it's got like a friend of the pod, Michael T. Fournier does a, some stuff in here. But um, this dude, Marty Davis, has a, a little chapter in here of a graphic novel he submitted for the 33 and a third series called Black Flag in the Story of Damaged. He did a graphic novel. Well, that's cool. About, about, Black Flag Damage. It never came out, mostly because they say the size of the 33 and a third books, it didn't really work because they're so small, but it's pretty cool. He should post that on the web. Yeah, well, we'll post a, a picture or two of it. It's really cool. He did a great job. Can you get, is it, oh, is it in that book? Yeah, it's in this book. There's lots of little excerpts in here of like, you know, examples of things they're talking about. There's oh. some other, I think, unreleased stuff from 33 and a third there's some stuff from some of the 33 and a third books oh, okay. just g- given as examples the, his art really reminds me of that brian walsby guy that does that man child and oh, yeah. does a lot of stuff with the melvins he's the roadie for uh, the merch guy for the melvins these days so that that whole damaged graphic novel is in that book the entire thing it's it's just part of it oh, okay yeah because i was yeah. like that guy should post it and i'll I print it all off and put it in a nice duo tang for sure. Well, maybe he has or something. I'm not sure. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You should uh, you should track this book down, Ryan. So maybe you it would help you with your <laughs> homestead piece. <laughs> hey, if it's if it's going to take me six months to write it, you know it's, yep. you know it's going to be good. I don't need any help. Trust me. Yeah. Just trust me. Uh, one more spiel. One more Willie spiel here, Ryan. Another friend of the pod. Joe Carducci reached out about our, which episode was it? Our SWA episode, I think. Modi Frank is listed on the back of the SWA record as the mistress of practicality. Do you remember that? Yeah. So here, here's what Joe told me. Modi Frank was Meryl Ward's girlfriend, and she directed videos which aren't on her IMDb page, so not sure which ones, but some Rollins Band stuff and maybe some SWA. So I did a little digging on Modi Frank and I found out some information about her. She acted in Love Doll Superstar, so we'll watch for her in a few weeks here when we get to that, or maybe a bit, maybe farther than a few weeks. She worked on the movie Dudes, personal favorite of mine. Ooh, I love Dudes. Oh, man. I'm gonna, there's, the, I'm gonna, sub, there's the suburbia tie-in there, too. I'm going to watch Dudes now. Yeah, same director. I, Dudes is out on Blu-ray now. I bought it recently. Uh, she. Di- you should bring that when you come see me next month. Okay, I will. <laughs> we'll watch it. She directed L7 videos like Everglade and Pretend We're Dead and a ton of Henry Rollins and Rollins Band stuff. She did Talking From The Box. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that one, Ryan. There's like little vignettes of like Henry being a door-to-door salesman and stuff like that in it. That's a spoken word video, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think she... I think I've seen it. I think I saw it on like VHS or something. Yeah. I think she directed some of those. She did You Saw Me Up There, another Rollins spoken word thing. 
She did videos for Rollins Band song, uh, songs Starve, uh, Get Some, Go Again. She did the Rise Above video, the one for the uh, West Memphis 3 thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did a, a video for one of my favorite Rollins Band songs, Tearing. She did Jane's Addiction's Mountain Song, uh, a really cool Exine Cervenka track uh, off an album I really like of hers called Old Wives Tales. She did a video for the song Leave Heaven Alone. So there you go. There's Modi Frank. Cool. She even has a, she even has a website, motivationfilms.com. Hmm. Get it? Motivation? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think man should we get our uh our willy painted here yeah let's do it history lesson part one all right so i kind of did a little bit of history lesson stuff here ryan because i didn't like i said we're all over the place in the interview so um here's what i came up with that kind of expands on the interview a little bit uh, most of the the guys in Painted Willie came out of a hardcore band called Sin 34 uh, out of Santa Monica, California. One of the first U.S. hardcore bands to feature a female singer, Jules Lanfeld Keskin, who uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this year. They were named after a Los Angeles UHF TV station called Spanish International Network, which was Channel 34. And here's the... Uh, Here's the suburbia tie-in, Ryan. Chris Pedersen, Peterson, not sure which, briefly played guitar in Sin 34. He is Jack Diddley in suburbia. Do you know who he is? Which which character he is? Oh, man, no. Remind me. Tom, wake up and smell the coffee, man. <laughs> it's hopeless. <laughs> oh. My old man comes back later, and we're still here. He's going to shit Twinkies. <laughs> a cinematic classic. Yep. That's Chris Peterson, or Pedersen, I'm not sure which. Is it with a T or a D? D. Pedersen. Pedersen. Uh, Sin 34 split up in September 84, and they did reform 24 years later in 2008. And interesting to note, Ryan, I think... Dave mentions this in the interview, but they were like 15, 16 years old when they started Sin 34. So that's pretty cool. Yep. So out of Sin 34, drummer Dave Markey and bassist Phil Newman formed a new band with uh, guitarist Vic, oh, I'm going to screw this up, Makauskas, I want to say. <laughs> that's the first and last time I'm going to say that last name. Listen for it in the interview. I'm pretty sure Dave says it properly. I think that's pretty close. Yeah, formerly of SVBD, St. Vitus Dance Band. Do you know anything about them? No. Me neither. <laughs> I was going to say, do you? <laughs> well, there I found a song on YouTube. I think maybe off one of those Mystic comps. Oh, yeah. So he, he, he was a guitarist in Painted Willie. And then Nick Delaney from Vancouver band No Exit. The stuff I could find about him was they are were a very early... Vancouver punk band, maybe even around when DOA was still called the Skulls, like pre-DOA. Yeah. And they re self-released an album, 200 copies. It's very rare, very sought, sought after. And the way they did the jackets was they just bought like two, 200 like dollar bin records and glued covers on them. And the cover is like a parody of the debut Clash album. And then the back cover is a parody of Damn, Damn, Damned. Yeah. And they like just glued them onto old jackets. Yeah. You can, you can find them on YouTube as well. You can buy a copy of that album right now on Discogs for $1,300. hi yeah, yeah. So here's a quote from, I believe, Dave. He says, We had grown tired of the rigid rules and restrictions of hardcore. The genre had played itself out, suffering from clone conformity and gang violence and then he goes on to talk about uh some of the bands they were maybe interested in or you know kind of the the la bands that were gaining in popularity around that time like the gun club green on red salvation army who turned into the three o'clock later 100 flowers who we've mentioned several times 
uh, Dream Syndicate, Red Cross. And so they split up Sin 34. Uh, Dave and Phil went on to form the new band with Vic and Nick, as I mentioned. Vic chose the name from a 1950s thesaurus he had found in a thrift store. Apparently, Ryan the thesaurus um, kind of named Painted Willie as uh, slang for Old English slang for a transvestite or a drag queen. Hmm. That's quite the thesaurus. Yeah. So also around this time, they uh, had moved into a storefront, the back of a storefront in North Hollywood, and uh, started up Spinhead Studios. Dave says on his website, there was no shower or hot water. Bathing was done in the industrial backyard with a garden hose. And all they had for, like, their kitchen was a hot plate, basically. What do you know about Spinhead Studios, Ryan? Zero. Okay, well, I'll tell you about it. Yeah, what should I know? Well, uh, a bunch of stuff was recorded there, including this album, which we'll get to shortly. I think this might have been off air, but we were talking last week about that Greg Graffin and Greg Hetson track on Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. Yeah, that's a great track. Uh, pretty sure pretty sure that was recorded there. Okay, for fans of the old school bad religion that's a great one uh i think some chemical people stuff was recorded there l7 sonic youth recorded uh um some stuff there in 1986 between evil and sister that was supposed to be used for a movie soundtrack it was wasn't released until a few years back here as the spinhead sessions artless entanglements recorded some stuff there do you know what that is you have mentioned it before on this podcast it's the spotinator right Yep. Uh, and some SST stuff that we'll be getting at at some point. Paper Bag, A Land Without Fences, yep. SST 170. Blast, Take the Ma Manic Ride was mixed there. Get to that way later. That's SST 225. And Always August, Largeness with Holes, SST 135 was mixed there as well. Whole bunch of stuff. Apparently the name was a variation of the words skinhead and pinhead. Huh. So anyways, they're living there, and then Vic quits the band, and the trio records a self-titled 7-inch EP and releases it on Spinhead Records, which Phil was running. We're going to get to that pretty soon here. Well, not pretty soon. In like a year on SST 108. And I think all of that was also released on SST 178, uh, Painted Willie's Relics release which came out in 1988. So Wikipedia has that self-titled 7-inch listed as SST-108, but I don't, I'm not sure if it actually came out on SST or if they just kind of redistributed old copies of it. I guess we'll find out when we get there. Uh, when my information has SST-108 as originally released on Spinhead. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick Delaney gets booted out. And uh, this is, again, on Dave's website, which is uh, wegotpowerfilms.com. He says, Nick was eccentric and socially awkward. <laughs> and apparently he shaved his head like a Hare Krishna, except for a small circle on top, which he dyed blue, and he would fix a cocktail umbrella to it. He plays a Hare K Krishna in Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, Apparently, it's the last scene of the movie, so we'll we'll have to watch for that in about a month when we get to that episode. His, this is a quote. His erratic, manic genius turned annoying, so they booted him out. So yeah, that's the, that's the end of Nick Delaney. Apparently, he was friends with Ron Reyes, who I guess probably already had a connection to Canada and convinced him to move down there. So that's, that's how Nick Delaney ends up down in California. Not sure what, what happened to him next. Uh, and then Dave and Phil record a 12-inch EP called My Fellow Americans as a duo with Phil playing bass and guitar. And they play some live shows with Mike Vallejo, who had also played in Sin 34 for a while and was in Circle One also. And that 12-inch EP, I think, is also going to come out later on SST. And, and some of it's going to be on that Relics release also. So that's about all I have for History Lesson Part 1. Should we let Dave take it from here and say it much better than I am? Let's do that. 
So we're here today with Dave Markey. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I sat down trying to think about what I wanted to talk to you about, and you've, it was kind of overwhelming. You've done so many interesting things. I was having a hard time thinking of where to start, so I thought we'd maybe just start at the start and we could talk about uh, your first band, Sin 34. It, is that your first, was that your first band? That was my first band. Started that band, uh, yeah, I was 17 when that band formed, and the other members in the band were uh, 16 and 15, so yeah, we were just kids, literally kids. Like hardcore kids? Oh yeah, that's the reason why I really got directly involved with music. I mean, I was always a fan of music, even as you know, a younger kid. But I never thought about participating in it really until to the LA hardcore band sort of kind of engulfed my life there in 1980. Yeah, it, it, it just wasn't about starting a band. It was also the fan scene and uh, doing documentation on Super 8 film and 35 millimeters uh, still. Yeah, is that kind of how you got into that by documenting the scene? Did you just fall into that? It all it all sort of happened uh, around the same time, you know, the band, the fanzine. I had been making movies prior to that on Eight Millimeter and Super Eight uh, ever since I was uh, 11, 12 years old. So uh, I had already had a good head start on that. The music thing and playing music uh, really became a thing for me in 89. And as far as the, the movie thing, was that something you planned, like, you know, I want to be a filmmaker, or is it just something that kind of happened? I don't know how many plans you could make as a child, but uh, it was just more about doing. So I, I already had a, a, a DIY attitude before I could even articulate it and you know, before I even knew what any of that was, I literally was just doing from an early age. Any mentors, or was it just completely self-taught? I didn't have anyone teaching me anything. I had to learn the ropes uh, myself through trial and error. And, uh, you know, Super 8 film, and actually I started on regular 8mm film, was inexpensive enough um, just picked up my dad's 8mm camera as an 11-year-old kid and started shooting. Okay. So, yeah, there were several years of, of learning by trial and error. Uh, I had made my first film at 11 and completed it, you know, screened it. So, of course, this was just with neighborhood kids in, in Santa Monica where I grew up. And, right. Uh, so that was really sort of my film school. <laughs> now, like, are you writing a script? Like, how involved, like, what are we talking uh, about here? Sometimes, I mean, I, I, wrote, I, wrote, I started writing scripts when I was, like, 14, 15. That's when I actually sat down at a typewriter and actually formatted it into a script. But um, I tend to work best, you know, either way, uh, just really just sort of going for it, you know, sort of being in the moment. And uh, that, that worked out really well for me. Okay, so Sin 34, would you say, like, kind of transitioned into Painted Willie, or was it more of, like, a conscious thing, like, let's stop Sin 34 and, and start this new band? Sin 34 right. broke up. I was living with Phil Moon, the bassist, at the time, in a recording studio that we built out on Burbank Boulevard uh, called Spinhead, and uh, we were living together and playing music all the time, so it was just something that... Uh, seemed like a natural progression. We had formed a band in the last few months of Sympathy 4. It was quite clear that the band was imploding. But yet, uh, Phil and I actually clicked together musically pretty well. And, and we, having a place to play music around the clock, uh, really sort of helped. We really sort of honed our chops at the right. point. So the Spinhead Studios, I was going to ask about it because I know the first Painted Willie singles and I believe the uh, Mind Bowling album were all recorded there. I was curious about it because yes. a lot of that SST stuff around that time, it's the first time I've ever seen Spinhead 
uh, come up because it was mostly, you know, Total Access or Mystic and stuff like that. What was the studio setup like? Was it? It started out as a eight track. Uh, okay. And and uh, eventually went up to twenty four. Uh, it was it was really Phil's baby, but uh, I was living with him and helping him, you know, build the build the joint. It took a while to build. Right. Started construction on it in, in an abandoned storefront uh, on Burbank Boulevard. Uh, in 1983, it probably took about the better part of a year to complete. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, we're we're rehearsing there. Other bands are coming in, rehearsing there, or recording their demos. Right. You know, Painted Willie first formed as, well, it was actually a four-piece originally, with two guitar right. players, uh, Nick Delaney and Nick Matauskas. Right before we recorded our single, the first Painted Willie 7-inch, uh, just dropped out of the band, and it was just uh, Phil, myself, and Nick. And uh, we recorded that seven inch. I think that we had done a couple demos or live recordings in the studio prior to it, but I think that first painting really seven inch was sort of the calling card of like, yeah, Spinhead Studios has has uh, has arrived. And the Sin Thirty Four stuff. Was I believe also recorded there? Sin Thirty Four only recorded one track there, actually, and that was uh, for the uh, Despertines Love All soundtrack in 1984. That was the last thing that Sin Thirty Four had uh, done as a band at that time. But you guys were also releasing stuff on Spinhead Records, so I'm assuming that was you and Phil also. Yeah, it was. It, it was mainly Phil's. Okay. Beast. Um, but I was there um, sort of just helping helping out. I mean, Phil did all the studio work. He did all the recording. He set up the mics. He did uh, you know the engineering. Uh, he mixed. I sat in on all the mixing sessions and, of course, uh, assisted. I, of course, I, I wasn't attuned to the studio setup as much as Phil was, and so, I mean... But I mean, I was there and, and uh, definitely sort of okay. offered an opinion <laughs> when it was needed. Even though I was, you know, I'm definitely no audio engineer. It's, it's not my forte. Phil was very talented and adept at that. You're maybe more of the producer role. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I had a lot of other things going on. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Um... I was wearing a lot of hats. Last thing I needed was uh, to be, you know. And the amount of art you were putting out around that time is really impressive, I have to say. Like between the zine and the all the Super 8 stuff, it, it probably didn't feel like it at the time when you were just kind of creating all that stuff. But, you know, to me, looking back at it all these years later, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, I, 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 of course, as, again, when, 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 when you're younger, you're just really... I was definitely more caught up in just the doing part of it. And uh, there's a lot of energy involved in just the, the creative aspect of, of all of this stuff. And it all sort of fed each other, you know, it all just sort of mushroomed out uh, from there. But I mean, I, I learned a lot from Sin 34 because we were very active um, ass right away. We, we started booking our own shows, um, playing with just about everybody in Southern California at that time. The band didn't tour that much. Did you play with Black Flag? Actually, we never played a show with Black Flag. Uh, there was one scheduled that fell apart. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I had seen Black Flag many times, and, uh, you know, it was the one band that we didn't play with. Everybody else, a main band, I mean, uh, even the Misfits, I mean, bands like the, when I look when I when I look at uh, a list of bands that we were able to play with at the time, it, it, it I scratch my head going, you know, how how was that achieved? We literally were kids and had very little idea what we were doing. And also, I was playing drums in this band. We had a show booked the first week after I sat behind a drum kit for the first time and was trying to figure out how to play. As we all were, you know, I mean, uh, the fact that that, that uh, 
it took us a while to learn our instruments, and, and that was the first year or two of the band, and it didn't really matter yeah. uh, at the time. That's the attraction but, of the uh, punk scene, right? Yeah, it, you know, it was all a bunch of kids our age doing the same thing, and no one was talking about, you know, musical competence or, or being a musician or anything like that. When you go into Painted Willie, then, is it like, are you and Phil having a conversation, like, let's start this kind of, like, a different kind of band, or is it just, like, that's what you're writing? Or, or like, are you, what are you listening to? When, there was when... a conscious decision at the time. We were trying to go beyond what we had done before. Um, around that time, 1984, the whole hardcore scene in Los Angeles really had disintegrated. A lot of the venues had been shut down by the police. A lot of what was around as a quote-unquote scene just sort of dissolved. And that was really interesting because there was a lot of information in that that we definitely were aware of. And I think the musical sort of change that happened was just kind of pretty natural and, and uh, organic at the time. Although, again, I think with Peyton Willie and Phil Newman actually named the band and, and, and sort of gave it its, its kickstart and, he was definitely into sort of going beyond what we had done prior to that. That's just sort of what happened. And was the goal to get on SST? Like, I, you know, you hear a lot of no, that. no, no, not at all. I, 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 I never would have imagined that the band would have fit in with that at the time, especially in 1985 when the band was was uh, first connected and signed to SST. I just remember being kind of shocked and beside myself yeah. that uh, that we were asked to not only record for the label, but go on this six-month tour uh, with Black Flag starting January 1st, 1986, and going on through June. Uh, it, just, it just seemed so unreal at the time. And uh, also... Uh, SST agreed to distribute the film that I was just completing at the time, uh, the sequel to Death Returns, Love Dolls, Love Dolls Superstar. So, um, yeah, it was it was kind of mind mind blowing, you know, mind bowling uh, <laughs> at the time. So, hence the name of the record. Right. So, how did that happen? They approached you. Greg did just uh, gave me a call one day at Spinhead and just said, "Hey." Uh, you know, like to put out your music, and like to take you on the road, and uh, that's pretty much how it happened. Wow. Uh, my friend Jordan Schwartz had been working for Chuck Dukowski for a year or so prior to that. Right. Uh, he was he was booking for Global. Uh, he ended up booking lots of bands uh, through Global at the time, and he had a demo tape down there and. I think I think that's how Greg got to it. I, actually, honestly, I don't really know. Um, maybe maybe Greg had gotten hold of the, the record, the okay. first couple of EPs that we did. I honestly don't know. <laughs> but nonetheless, we self-released on Spinhead. Not only the first uh, painting of the seven inch, but the twelve inch uh, My Fellow Americans, and that was both of those were done in nineteen eighty four back to back. Right as I was finishing the first Lobel film. So, again, uh, a short amount of time, but an awful lot of activity going on. So you go in to record at your own studio, or yours and Phil's studio. Who's Gabriela Lopez, who engineered it? Who's that? That was, that was a made-up name. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> you know, on a, a lot of those credits, um, you, you'll find stuff that, that, like that. Really, inside jokes that, that uh, in, in the case of Gabriela Lopez, that was just something we made up because sort of uh, it was a combination of Phil and myself that did it. And I don't know, probably just just wanting to uh, take the process less seriously. Okay. 
Greg Ginn gets a producer credit. Was he in the studio with you when you recorded? For Mind Bowling? Yeah. Yes, he was. Okay. Yeah, he was there. Um, again, it was filming and doing most of the work. Uh, Greg Ginn rolling joints in the control room. <laughs> you know. Um, now, were you jamming again, a this, lot? This, like... this is like, this is over 30, 33 years ago at this point. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, we had already recorded the tracks for that in April and August of 1985. Uh, basically, we recorded side one in April, side two in August. And uh, so we had already done the songs as demos, and we just basically re-recorded it uh, for the album. Okay. And it was, out, right there. it was out in time for the tour? It came out at some point in early 86. It wasn't out for maybe the first leg. Okay. <clears throat> I think it came out in February or March. I, I, I'm not sure on that, but it wasn't out on the first part of the tour. So we were just sort of going out playing those songs without people really knowing the material. Were you jamming a lot at the time? Like, how was what was the writing process? Would would Phil come in with a riff, and you would complete it as a band, or was he coming in with complete? We songs? all wrote we all wrote um, music and words, and some of the songs came out of just improvising in the studio, and then it would sort of click, and uh, then we would sort of arrange it into a, a song thereafter. Okay. Not all of the songs, and most of the songs. Uh, mo the, the majority of the material came out of someone bringing in someone bringing in the riff and uh, it going from there. But it was a pretty loose situation, from what I recall. Uh, no one told anyone what parts to play. Everyone sort of right. wrote their own parts and maybe okay. even helped arranging. Um, Who did the cover art for Mind Bowling? Cover art was done by uh, Ted Necht. Connect KMCT. Uh, he was a friend of Vic Mikowskis. Okay. In fact, they were in a band together called SVBB in the early 80s in, in the scene here. And Ted was uh, you know, a pretty gifted graphic artist and okay. still is, I believe. What is the cover? Is it a painting? It's something that Ted came up with. I don't know how he did it. I think okay. it's a painting. Yeah, and it looks like one. It looks like a painting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, all that stuff was done before computers, right? So, right. Yeah, it's all done. It's all done by hand, and uh, I don't think there was a lot of laboring over it. I think it was just like, you know, here it is. Okay. Yeah. You know. So you go on this the '86 Black Flag tour, a pretty, you know, uh, infamous tour, maybe, and uh, you shoot the documentary Reality '86. When did you finish editing that? I, I understand it. You didn't finish it until years. I shot years nine later. hours of material in 1986. And right. It sat around for a few years before I had a way to post-produce it. And in early 1981, an old friend of mine, Phil Newman's sister, Laura Newman, uh, was working for a video production company in Hollywood. And she had me come in there after hours and I was able to run uh, their edit system, which was a three-quarter-inch pneumatic uh, double-deck uh, editing system you know, with a video editing switch in between it. And uh, it was at that point in early 86 that basically staying up all night for a few months in a row, going into this place at 6 p.m. and leaving at 6 in the morning, where I put together um, the film. You've kind of said in the past that you're, you know, it's obviously not your first choice to have it available for free and on YouTube and stuff like that, as it's probably the case with most artists, but that you would, you know, if that's the only way it can be seen, then, you know, that's, that's your preference. Are you, where, where are you, where do you stand on that these days? Well, the film sat completed for decades before anyone saw it. I mean, I did do a couple screenings, uh, locally in LA when I completed it at uh, I'm trying to remember which point in 1981 that I had the film done it was probably finished in June and I had done a few screenings of it 
in town. And everyone, everyone in the film just about saw it and uh, a few other people. Namely, Thurston uh, Moore. And Thurston was so into the film that he's like, I want to come on the road with us and make a movie. So it's questionable whether or not I had completed that film at that point in time, really, anyone had I uh, been able to go out and shoot 1991 when the punk broke right. in August of that year. So I really pretty much could go on the record of saying that had I not made reality sixth, there would be no 1991 when the punk broke. And I'm sure that led to other other things as well. I know you've obviously directed oh, yeah. a number of videos, including uh, lots of SST bands, both before, while during their time at the label and afterwards. Do you have any yeah. favorites that stand out for you for videos you've made? Um, I really like um, all, all the work I did with Sonic Youth. I, I really like a lot, uh, yeah. personally. And I always had a good time shooting the videos that I did whether it's working with bands that were associated with the label, like uh, Lee Puppets, Firehose. Let's see, who else? Bob Mould, <laughs> I believe. My, uh, yeah, yeah, Bob Mould was done more recently. Um, but uh, Pat, I'm, I'm Pat thinking, Smear. like, way back then, um, you know, I, I only really worked on whatever, whatever it was that I was doing, um, I only worked on things that I was interested in doing and bands that I really liked. And, uh, of course, I had opportunities to do things for other bands that were unrelated that I always just tended to shy away from, for better or worse. Uh, if it's like, if, like I, I wasn't into the band, I, I just wouldn't have the energy to do it. I, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So it's safe to say that you know, all, all that work I really came from my love for um, these artists. Well, it's a good position to put yourself in as an artist yourself to, you know, to be able to only do stuff that interests you. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just the way that, that I work. What are you doing now? Are you writing? <laughs> music videos yeah. are largely gone away. Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple. I've done a couple. I think the last couple I did was in 2014. Or no, I did a video in 2017. So, but uh, once in a while I'll do it. Uh, it's not necessarily anything I'm focused on. But yeah. yeah, I mean at this point, the music video. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's there's really not a lot of places outside of the net where it's going to be seen. Yeah, I mean the more long form yeah. stuff like the you know the Dinosaur Junior at the 9:30 Club, for example. I mean stuff stuff like right. that. You know is Still does well, well yeah. I would say. And the uh, Circle Dicks documentary as well. Um, right. Did both of those back to back in 2012. Uh, yeah. Again, I think those those works. I think I had uh, more at my disposal as, as far as production goes. So, yeah. in, in the early days, it was really myself. I was really one man. So I was shooting the thing. I was uh, directing. I was. Uh, editing it, putting it together. I was uh, putting it out, usually myself. Uh, so, again, just wearing an awful lot of hats. And, uh, yeah. In order to get the thing made, done, and out there. So, But I think, you know, th there was a natural evolution within all that work, too, that, uh, you know, things started looking, sounding better and whatnot as technology sort of evolved along with me. Uh, in another 40 or so releases, Dave, we're going to be getting to Upside Downtown, which is an album I've never heard. Which one's better, Mind Bowling or, or that one, in your opinion? For me personally, um, I'm not, I don't think Upside Downtown has aged as well. The material on it, I think. It, it sounds like a band that's breaking up, but that, of course, to me, is my own personal take on it, because that's what was sort of the underlying that was the underlying thing that was going on um, yeah just a lot of tension within the band and a lot of a lot of struggle for, for the wheel a, a lot of uh, sort of 
the band wasn't working together at that point. It was sort of working separately, and uh, a lot of sort of vying for, for control, but just ended up having the band sort of implode. So that's my own personal experience with it. Uh, the material on it, I don't know, it's a little just too metal for my liking. Um, I don't know. It's It hasn't aged as well to me as, as the other stuff. Some people like it. Uh, <laughs> did you do music after that? I did. Yeah, what did you do? I did I did a bunch of one-off projects, uh, mostly. And I also did uh, a few bands here and there as well. Yeah. Right after the breakup of Pain Willie in 88, we, we did the Anarchy 6 album. Um, okay. And Anarchy 6 was the band that was uh, formed within the film Love All Superstar. And it was sort of our Spinal Tap version of hardcore. Sort of our loveliness version of hardcore. If you never heard that record, I, I would suggest seeking that out and having a listen. For sure, yeah. <laughs> and you've played shows? There was one show Anarchy 6 played, yeah, uh, okay. in particular. But... Uh, that record to me is, it's it's a hoot. <laughs> yeah. It's still funny, I think. Uh, and I actually really like the album as a whole. You know, it was another project involving someone and myself, but this time basically we just went and uh, we reformed Sin 34 with Steve McDonald of Red Cross on vocals. So that's basically okay. what the Six album is. And there's even a couple early Simply Before songs on there repurposed. But uh, most of that album was written, you know, over the course of a weekend. It was recorded over the course of another weekend and mixed just as quickly. But uh, Where can people go, Dave, if they want to buy your movies or your, uh, your book? Uh, just a few clicks away. Any of the websites. <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, I have my own website that I've maintained now for, oh, it's been up for a couple decades. That's wegotpowerfilms.com. And uh, there's a lot of material on there, videos, MP3s, information. So there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff there to check out. Also, the, uh, through there, I link you to a lot of the video clips and, and whatnot. Well, great. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Dave. Sure. It's appreciated. No Right on. Very cool to hear from uh, Dave about Painted Willie. First-hand account. And uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting into the history lesson part two as well. It got me a little jazzed for some of the other stuff that we're going to be getting to, like uh, Desperate Teenage Love Dolls and Love Doll Superstar. Yeah, I have to admit, I really have never taken a deep dive on those. I just kind of picked them up over the years and same. Kind of picked out my favorite song or two off of them, and that's it. So I'm also really looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite stuff from the interview. Do you know the band Anarchy 6 that he talks about? I do. There is one record uh, that I have by them, and I had no idea what they sounded like, but I picked it up because it has uh, a Raymond Pettibone cover art on it. That's why I bought that record. Yeah. So it's called Hardcore Lives. And it's, I think he calls it kind of, or calls them the the punk rock spinal tap or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. The back, the back cover is kind of a parody of like suicidal tendencies. They're hanging upside down. They're kind of dressed like Vatos a little bit. Yeah, they've got those bandanas on for sure. Yep. And uh, some of the stuff on here, like there's a song called Negative Threat, which is kind of like a minor threat type song. Yep. And the, the lyrics are... Something like stage, stage diving on all your fucking rules, circle dance against fascist fools. There's a track called Babylon Rules, which is definitely a Bad Brains kind of parody. Yeah, they're, def and there's they're a, definitely taking there's a cut at the Bad Brains on that. And I mean, yep. you know, I'm pretty sure, and I don't know how, but I'm pretty sure these guys were either on the same label with or related to or something with that band White Flag. Okay. I don't know what it is, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I I could have sworn they were kind of in the same circle. Yeah. Well, the the people in the band are Dave and Phil, 
and then Stephen McDonald from Red Cross and Mike Glass, who was in Sin 34. And I think they have a connection to the Desperate Teenage Love Dolls or Love Doll Superstar. Like, are a fic- are, were a fictional band in that movie. Huh. Don't quote me on that. But I think he mentions that in the interview. We'll find out. Because I'm going to watch both of those movies when we get to them. So, <laughs> and, and here's a... Here's a lyric I pulled out from uh, a rap song or hip hop, I guess, that they do on the Anarchy 6 album, Hardcore Lives. It says, it's the track's called See You in the Pit, and it goes, I talked to Ian in DC. I rap with Henry at SST. Oh boy. Uh, there you go. Um, I was just mentioning the connection of Anarchy 6 to White Flag. I was just looking it up here, and Mike Glass who was in Sin 34, yep. also in Anarchy 6, and appears to have been on at least a couple White Flag releases. There you go. All right. Do you want to talk about the tunes on this album? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. History Lesson, Part 2. All right. Uh, track 1 on the A-side, Ryan. It's called 405. Pretty sure it's named after Interstate 405, which is why it starts with like the sounds of, I think it's a motorbike driving down like a coastal highway. That's what it sounds like to me anyways. A coastal highway? Yeah. Are you? No? Well. Well, you can hear like the ocean, can't you? Oh yeah, maybe. Uh, So the bass kicks in and then it's kind of got these cool guitar harmonics. This one is a track I really like. It's featured on Reality 86. It's a real standout for me in the movie. I like how it slows down in the middle of the song for like this noisy Gin-esque type solo. It's a really cool instrumental and I'm pretty sure they probably started their sets with this one. Yeah, I like this one. I like the first three songs as kind of a trio. And you mentioned Chemical People before. The thing that struck me this time around listening to Painted Willie, especially this record, is kind of the... The guitar work on it reminds me of some Chemical People stuff, which I'm a big fan of, and so it's no surprise that I like this record for sure. Uh, track two, Response. I th- yeah. They for sure, I think, did these you know, live like this. It almost sounds like it was recorded. Kind of one, two, three. Yeah, they... Live like this. They feel like like three, three tracks pretty close together. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to really... If you didn't know that response and pig farm were two different songs that you wouldn't even know that it, you know, it wasn't the same song almost. Yeah. It's like definitely a complimentary chord coming out of four Oh five into response. And, uh, this one's also in reality 86. Yeah. It's Phil on vocals, by the way. Yeah. Both response and pig farm are credited to Newman. Okay. Pig farm though, has definitely got a much cruder lyrics. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it goes right into it. The, the songs kind of merge together. Like I said, you don't even know it's a new song at first. I really like the Gin-esque licks that he does in this song. And like the down-picked riffing. Uh, there's no real chorus in either of these songs that I could pick out. And uh, the bass playing is pretty busy but i like it the bass playing is another aspect that i do really like and again it kind of reminded me of something that chemical people would do like it it has that vibe the guitarist like kind of the you know scraping over the strings and kind of a bit of melodic bass all like kind of a tony lombardo type melodic bass as well okay yeah I, i wrote questionable lyrics is what i wrote for for pig farm yeah yeah no kidding but, I mean, it's not the first time we've encountered an SST band that has lyrics of this nature. Yeah. Uh, track four, Chia Pet. Again, this one's on Reality 86. They're, like, playing outside during the day on, like, a university campus or something. Yeah, and it's literally about how to grow a tree, Chia Pet until it becomes a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Again, no chorus, really, on this one. Uh, there's a really cool intro part that kind of reminds me a bit of TSOL. Maybe just be the effect on Vic's guitar. I'm not sure. All I kept thing, thinking about is there's a fairly, I guess, famous or infamous uh, band 
uh, where you and I come from called Pork Sword, and they have a track called Donkey Stud that talks about chia pets. So <laughs> I kept I kept thinking about Donkey Stud. Yeah, I definitely was not, but but good for you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pork Sword are a great band, though. Yeah. Uh, what's next here? Track five. Monkey Mia. Monkey Mia. This is a song, as far as I can tell, about eating monkey brains. Yeah, and speaking of um, cinematic treasures, can you recall a movie where they're, they are dining on chilled monkey brains? Yeah, but I can't think of what it is. Temple of Doom, man. That's Yeah, I was thinking that. This one is notable for me because it, it rhymes Monkey Mia with Encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that one, Ryan? Uh, Chia Pet and Monkey Mia are credited to all three band members. Okay. And then we're flipping it over for Moonchild. Cool track. I Again, I hear some TSOL and DI and kind of that SoCal punk style a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. I kind of, for some reason, I sensed a little Agent Orange there. Yeah. Uh, track two, Little Red Book. Did a little deep dive into that because that's a cover song. It's written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. It was written when Burke Backrack started working with like a lot of beat bands after the start of the British invasion. And Hal David often wrote lyrics uh, for Burt. And uh, uh, it was first recorded by Manfred Mann, uh, but it was made popular by the LA band Love in 1966. It reached number 52 on the US charts and kind of became a little bit of a garage rock standard. And there's also a really good live video of them doing this song. It's pretty cool because Phil sings the leads and he kind of trades off with Vic on the chorus. And uh, people are, were really digging them live. You kind of get this impression of like everybody tolerating the opener sometimes, like Gone and Painted Willie and waiting for Black Flag to come on. And then tolerating Black Flag, <laughs> waiting for them to play like Gimme, Gimme, Gimme and stuff. But people were rocking out. Yeah, and this is, except for the intro, Little Red Book, the lyrics are not provided for this one. But for all the other songs, lyrics are provided on the jacket. Yeah, that's pretty common with covers. Though. Yeah, they probably have to pay publishing or something. Probably. Uh, third track on side two, Used. I just wrote this as like the most hardcore sounding track to me. You can still hear their, you know, that they were a punk band. Oh yeah, for sure. I had, um, this is a real punk rocker. That's what I wrote down. Uh, fourth track, January. I really like the solo break, and this one has like an eastern-sounding lick. It's pretty cool. And then the final track, Cover Girl. I kind of a nothing too special for me. Then it ends, yeah. ends with a strike. Yeah, it kind of does a little ta-da type of lick, and then, yeah, sound of some bowling pins getting knocked down. Some actual bowling. I actually didn't real. I think Dave, again, alludes to this in the interview, but it just it dawned on me one day that mind bowling is like an anagram anagram for blowing yeah i didn't twig onto that it just dawned on me one day so hey um i'm pretty sure that my copy of this record is a promo oh and on the inner sleeve is taped like it looks like it was kind of typed on a typewriter and then like scotch taped onto the inner sleeve. Oh, really? Some, some promo stuff. And it's... Oh, like what? Can I can I lay it on you? Yeah, man. Okay, so it says, Painted Willie, from the casual jungles of Hollywood to the suburban jungles of the San Fernando Valley, Painted Willie is Southern California, formed by longtime friends Dave Markey, drums and vocals, Phil Newman, bass and vocals, Painted Willie is a no-holds-barred look into the human psyche. With Vic Makuskis on guitar, Painted Willie creates a pummeling barrage of hook-laden guitar madness. With the strength of this backdrop, Painted Willie's words assume frightening clarity in their tales of modern socio-sexual metaphysical crises. Painted Willie has toured extensively throughout the U.S., both as headliners and as the opening act for Black Flag's In My Head tour. And then it lists um, the three releases at this time on SST, Mind Bowling, 
uh, SST 85 uh, live from Van Nuys, SST 98 upside downtown. And it says Painted Willie also has songs on the Blasting Concept Volume 2. And there is a Painted Willie video available from SST upside downtown from the SST video comp number three. Yeah, so this was taped inside of, or on, I guess, the outside of the inner sleeve on my copy. It's kind of cool. Oh, right on. Well, if you're not following us on Facebook or Instagram yet, at Pod, go do that right now because we'll post this. And uh, here's a here's a quote I found from Dave on, again, his, his website, which is, we got powerfilms.com. He's got a little article on there called The Painted Willie Experience. He calls Gin's production, or he says about Gin's production, over compression and lack of dynamics stripped the material of its punch. In hindsight, it was the typical situation of the demos being far better than what would end up being released. Mm. So they, they recorded this whole album as a demo. They should release that. I think he talks in the interview about he thinks the demo was maybe passed to Greg Ginn by his friend uh, Jordan Schwartz, who worked for SST, and I'm pretty sure is in Desperate Teenage Love Dolls for sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear those demos. I mean, you know, recorded at Spinhead, I'm I'm sure as well, as was the album, so I'm not sure how different it would sound, but, you know, if it was total, obviously a totally different session, so it would have been mic'd differently, but... It was still recorded by Phil, I'm assuming, who is credited on the back as Gabriela Lopez, which is, a, as Dave mentions in the interview, an inside joke. Let's talk about the artwork. Do it. So as he mentions, as Dave mentions in the interview, it was, the cover was done by Ted Connect, who also we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks here, because he did the first Gone record as well. And if you watch uh, Reality 86, with, which you should... Because uh, it's got some great painted willy footage in it. Uh, just about everybody's wearing this T-shirt at one point or another. I don't know. It's cool artwork. It's kind of like got a 3D effect. Yeah, it almost looks like, you know, there's a photo with uh, painting over top of it. But I'm pretty sure it's all a painting. Yeah, and then the back covers kind of got the band members. Yeah, that image I really like. Yeah, me too. It almost looks like Tony Iommi or someone in the middle there. Yeah, they were rockers, man. That's about it, Ryan. Do we have any dead wax? No dead wax on this one. Do you want to do the ballot result? Yeah, I'm interested to see what you think. Ballot result. All right. Hit me with it, Brent. Well, what did you pick? Uh, I really liked... I mean, this is... Despite me, my first recommendation for an instro but i would almost go with 405 i just think that that's a killer opener yeah i like that one too i liked Moonchild. uh response i like yep yeah the first three are are really good uh, I, we can do 405 i like that one yeah i mean if there was a song called mind bowling or or something like that i would of course gravitate toward that but i do really like 405 i think it would fit fit really good on a compilation tape right wasn't last week October Faction? So do we want back-to-back -back instrumentals on our call? Oh, that's Ryan? a good one. We, what did we pick? What did we pick? The, uh, the Sam, Sam, Sam edited, edited version. version. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So then I would go with either Response or Moonchild. Let's do Response. Okay. Now let's do 405. Who, get, who cares? Well, you know what? If... 405 is a good track, man. Where does 405 fit this is episode 57 so it's like near the end of side two right yep hmm you can jam out at the end of side two man yeah i suppose i suppose yeah. you can put you can put some extended jams on side two and you know what anything following sam would be killer yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right 405 i like it okay ryan what's next week it's sst 58 three-way tie for last by the Minutemen. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. 
If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.